Father, we praise your name. We're praying for perfect leading of the Lord to go back to the seminar teachings and making them available for people. We want the presence of God to build the church. You have to build it on the right foundation. You can't build it on the doctrines of men today. And we can't we can't have even a revival. You can't revive something that's dead. You can't revive something that's gone away from God. Israel couldn't be revived. Josiah had a great time of refreshing. And they rededicated the temple and cleaned the thing out and, and got the word of God out. And these people came and, and on the steps of that temple, in the midst of that reawakening, Jeremiah was sent with a word that was scathing rebuke to the hearts of people. They'd come because they were excited about the newness of all these things, but they had not really come to surrender to God. And so you and I want that surrender to God. We want that, that presence of God in us. And I know that the church today, the, the people of God are scattered all over the earth looking for answers and seeking uh, what God would show them and teach them. Nonpet was just in Nigeria, uh, up at Joss, and uh, they, uh, he and Sakian, um, actually Sakian was going to go with Nonfong and visit the family and talk to him about the lies that had been spread about her mom. Sakian was living with her mom, and her dad accused her of all kinds of stuff, and, and these, her and Nandi were there all the time. And they knew that her mom went to work, came home, kept house, and, and uh, loved God. And then her dad killed her, and uh, Nandi was there. And when you, when you go through that kind of stuff, so God knows how to do those things in us to accomplish what he does. So it's uh, really a blessing to have him doing what he's doing in the Word. And uh, bring the church back to a foundation. So we want to we make these teachings available. I want to have the spirit and presence of God touch this word and, and um, bring us into that fullness of what he's doing so that we can deal with these issues. Um, somebody asked me a question about uh, spiritual warfare. And man, there's all kinds of books written about it. And uh, they can get you so spooked out that you don't, you can't turn the lights off at night when you go to bed. Because I was down in Nevada, Missouri, and these people were explaining to me that uh, artists who draw advertisements in magazines spend extra time drawing demon faces so you're influenced by the product. And then they took me through these magazines, and one, one of the pictures I remember was Two cubes of ice in a glass. It was, a, I think, for whiskey or something like that, but there was nothing in the glass yet except the ice cubes. And they said, look, look at the ice. So I looked. <laughs> but, you know, how many of you have ever been uh, sitting at a, a bus stop or train depot or something and you've got a lot of time and there's tiles and you look at the tiles and you think, Wow, that looks like a face. I could go, yeah. See, I don't think the people that made the tile and smashed out the clay, I don't think they were rolling the clay thinking, <laughs> I've got a demon face. They're going to put this tile in their house, and that demon face is going to look up at them, and then they're going to be persuaded to be, you know, get rid of the trains. I don't know what. But it's, you know, it's not really a joking matter, because you can, you can wax elegant on the subject, and who knows? If you have a, a church that has absolutely no idea how to do these things, 
You can say anything you want about it. And, uh, and then you can write books about it and people buy the books because who wouldn't want to know how to, you know, sling stones at the devil? thing is, we, we know that the Spirit and Presence of God has a way to, to do these things and to do it uh, through the Spirit and Presence of God. So we, we could talk about that, or you could ask questions. We could start with some questions if you have some questions that you'd like to ask first, and then we could deal with that stuff quickly enough. Sean? Sure. Basically, you know, in Chapter 1, of uh, Second Kings, or I'm sorry, chapter two. You know, you were talking about school of prophets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this, you know, basically, I noticed something that occurred here, and it also occurred in chapter uh, thirteen. So basically, like when Elijah is taken up, you know, in verse eleven it says he came past as they, you know, still went on and talked. And behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a woman, and Elijah saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, well, in chapter 13, Elijah is actually on a deathbed. Mm-hmm. So it's like here, Elijah is taken up in heaven, and Elijah basically says, My father, my father, the, you know, uh, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. Uh-huh. Well, in verse uh, 14, <laughs> chapter 13, he said, Now Elisha was calling sick of the sickness where he died, and Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen are up. Uh-huh. So I just didn't know if this was like a phrase that was maybe for the times, or if God was saying something here. Because, you know, I just, uh, I know that Joash wasn't necessarily the greatest of kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here he is saying the exact phrase that Elisha himself said when Elisha was taken up. So I just wanted to ask, is there, is there a parallel here, or is this just something that is cultural? Well, no, because the thing is, God's anointed presence had brought um, a prophetic word that was the prophecy of uh, God bringing that fire, that, that Holy Ghost fire, that God the consuming fire had embodied his work in the, these two men. So, uh, when you see the uh, this, this presence of God doing what he's doing, what, what Elijah, what they're doing over here in 12, or in chapter 2, is, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire. So, that's the chariot of which they're talking, and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. So, what God is bringing forth, and, and then he's taken up in a whirlwind. So, that's that sense of, of God having completed in this work what he would do. And so, we're talking about Jesus here, yeah? Because the ministry of Elijah was a fulfillment in, uh, in Christ. So, Jesus was the fire. And uh, he, he promised that baptism. And he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am straightened until it be delivered. So, you see that this, this, these horses, people talk about Elijah going up in the chariot. And uh, the thing is, what the Bible says he did is he went up by a whirlwind into heaven. But the, the chariot was there and the horsemen thereof. So this is, this is that abiding presence of God that is a conveyance. It's how, it's how the Holy Ghost gets us to absolute victory. Because you, you cannot deny that he's at Jordan. 
Am I right? And so he's come to this place, and you guys, you know, we've done this study several times, but let's, let's go back through the things real, real quick um, where they're moving on. Uh, verse 1 of 2 said, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah in heaven by a whirlwind. So he tells you how he's going to take him up even then. Uh, men get caught up on the chariot, and, and who doesn't like to see a chariot of fire? And besides that, who wouldn't rather ride a chariot than go up in a whirlwind? Okay. That Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, and Gilgal means a, a circle. Gilgal was a circle. It was where the children of Israel were, and it's where, when they were separated by God. And that's what salvation is. Our salvation is what he's talking about there. We come into a salvation relationship with God, and it has no end to it. That's the great thing about it. That's what a circle is all about. So we begin this, this life that has no end when we come to Christ. And uh, they already know that Elijah is about to leave, but uh, they're at Gilgal, and they're going to travel on, journey on. Uh, and Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. So Elijah says, You know, I got born of the Spirit, and I, I have had my sins washed away, but I want to have fellowship with God. This rebirth was made for me to have fellowship with God, so I'm going to go up to the house of God. And so, up to Bethel. And uh, so, but he's telling Elisha, You stay here. And that's because, you guys, nobody can bring someone else along on their walk with God. You have to personally make a choice. I am satisfied with my salvation. And the great thing is, the voice of God becomes um, instrumental in leading you deeper than what you could go. When you're at this beginning place at Gilgal, you can kind of live your life the way you want to live it. When you come into deeper fellowship with God and He talks to you, then He says something to you like, actually, what I'd like you to do is go from here, uh, leave your mom, leave your brothers, and uh, come up on the mountain and pray and spend 40 days up there. So right away you get the idea. It's like, wow, Gilgal's way easier to get along with, but, but the thing is, do I want fellowship with God? So when you come into that place where God starts talking to you, one of the first things God talked to me about is your friends are not going, coming along with you. So, so less fellowship with them is why uh, you have time to spend with me. So come spend time with me. And, and then he said again, and they're not, coming, they're not going to come along. And I'd, I'd been taking them to church. Several of them went to church with me. But as I look back on it, they eventually slid back into the world, and they would not have been good fellowship. So that was fellowship with God. That was communication with God. And so that's what God tells Elisha, or what Elijah tells Elisha. I, I'm going to go on in God. You can stay here if you want. In fact, tarry here. You wait here. And Elisha realizes, no, because I want to go where you're going. Your life is what I'm after. What you're doing in God is what I want in me. And so I think I'm just going to stick by you. So we know the story really well. But that's why he's going on to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I'm not leaving you. And you guys, when we make up our mind, we're going to serve God with everything. The thing that we need is to have a sense of what it is to, to honestly run after Christ. 
to do those things that, are, that have that kind of power. I was talking with Michael Schneider tonight before the service, and, and he, he went for a couple of days of rest and recuperation on our up into the mountains. They have a, a cabin that they go to up there, and they, they love the area. They love the place. And uh, they got this different cabin, and, and he said when he went to bed, just this uh, oppressing torment came against his mind. And he felt like someone had opened the door and, and was standing there looking at him. And uh, and he's a robust young man. Whoever it would be would be picking a fight that they wouldn't soon forget. But it, 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 in that awakened moment in the dark, he suddenly felt very afraid. And his heart began to pound. And then he, then he didn't want to get up and see who it was. He felt fear come, come on him that strong. And so uh, he, he laid there and he prayed for a while. And then he got up and he, and he went and the door was actually still shut. And, and when, he, when he was looking at it, the door opened up. And, and he could see something standing there. And so now he's in this state of mind that says, okay, I'm going to pray. And he prayed most of the night. And uh, got victory over it. But he, he, he didn't have a rest at night. But he eventually just prayed till there was just a, a peace in the place and uh, in him. And so he was telling me about it later. I said, well, you know, the spirit and presence of God is teaching us warfare. He's teaching us to do these things. And I said, when, when I moved into that house in Colorado, he said, yes, I thought of that after I left that place. Because he said, you went back to the back door and, and the locks were all on the door. And then you turned around and went through the house. And that's what I did. You guys, I had that fear that the door wasn't locked. The door is not locked. Go lock that back door. Someone's come through your back door. And I just moved in the house my first night there. And then, then intermittent with that was there's spiders under your bed. There's spiders climbing up along the wall. They're going to get on the bed. They're going to get on your pillows. They'll touch your arms. Wow. Now, I'm not big on, I, have no, I don't know that I'm, I'm terrified of spiders. I don't like they. But, uh, you know, I just have handled tarantulas on a couple of occasions quickly. And uh, it, always, it always meant something irreparable to them. And uh, so, but, but I've had little spiders, you know, that try to mess with me. And the thing is, but, uh, but I realized, uh, finally, I, I just, I got up and I said, you know, i got to go check that back door. I got to the back door and there were seven locks. I told you that before. There was all these locks on that back door. And I realized, wow, somebody lived here tormented that someone was coming through that back door. Now, I lived uh, in Irondale and uh, with a name like that. You'd think that nobody could live in Irondale, not want to hurt people if they came through the back door. But they were, somebody was terrified. And they were afraid of spiders, too. So I didn't lock the back door. But I walked through the house, and I commanded that spirit to leave that house. And then I went and laid back down, and there were no spiders. And no one came through my back door. And I, did, I, I chose not to lock that back door. And there was nobody lived behind me. It was just uh, trees and woods and, and then over to the next street. And there's a couple of houses in different directions. And, and someone savory lived in the area. It's not a great neighborhood. Except for me. And a uh, yeah, little disclaimer. Since I led you down that road, it's a bad neighborhood. Yeah, and there I was, right in the middle of it. But uh, having the time of my life. But, you guys, but what he understood was, because... I'd had that experience. He realized, and so he said, I don't know why I didn't walk through the house and cast that spirit out. Because it's how we encounter that warfare. It's what, but the thing was, I told him, well, actually, I was in somebody's house, and you could feel this, this warfare going on uh, against you. You could feel this 
uneasiness. You felt like you would like to leave. If you had a choice to get out the door, you would be gone. And uh, my dad was there and Lloyd Bruton, and we were at Lloyd's house. And my dad said, Lloyd, do you, do you, can you feel that sense of turmoil here or, or torment? And Lloyd said, yes, I do, Art. And he said, well, let's, let's walk through the house and cast it out. So having those experiences in my life, I knew exactly what to do. And that's what, that's what God's talking about here, is that Elisha had to have someone to follow. And that's why God told Elijah, you go get him, and you bring him up to speed. He's going to have the same encounter with my Holy Ghost presence. And you guys, the way you and I travel is in this chariot of fire. How you and I travel, honestly, is in this conveyance. You want to you know how you're getting to where you're going? We're traveling in, in this place where the Holy Ghost fire takes us. And, and it doesn't consume us. It, it, it cleanses and purifies us. So that's what they do is they go down through here. So he said, I'm, I'm going to go up to Bethel. And uh, I will not leave the verse three. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. You see, they keep calling him master, yeah? for lack of a better word. Actually, the truth is, he was known as the master over Elisha. And Elisha wanted to be what? He wanted a double portion of what Elijah had. It, it never made him feel bad that he was the servant. When Elisha came to, when Elijah came to get him, he just said, hey, I'm going to go kill some oxen. I'm going to go do a sacrifice. Man, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm going with you. Wherever you're going, I'm going. Well, this is the, he's like, wherever you're going, I'm going on. I'm adopting everything you are. I want to be what you are. This thing's going to end right for me. He understood that. You travel in the right company, you end up with the right values. You travel with the right mind, you're going to end up in the right direction. You travel with the right wisdom, you're going to end up exactly where God wants you to be. The church of the living God has lost the leadership that knew where it was going. And Satan knew he could do that. And that's what happened in the books of the Old Testament is that Israel had leadership that had gone astray. Now, we don't have that. But we do have this chariot. We've been left with the conveyance that can get us where we need to go to get to that place that God has us to go. We're traveling way less. We are traveling way less than what God gave us to travel in. So that's what He wants, is to have us be led by the Spirit. They that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then He said this, they said, these sons of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and said, you know, he's going to be taken away. And he said, yeah, I know, hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Now, you guys, you come to this place, and Jericho is a place of a fragrance. So he's, he's been born of the Spirit, or he's been born again. Then he's been... Uh, in fellowship with God. So he's understanding that revelation. And you guys, that's exactly how it worked as God has done the things he's done through the New Testament scriptures. You can see this building up of the people of God following that exact same pattern. So you come into that fellowship with God. You start walking and talking with God. And the Bible said, my sheep know my voice. In the Old Testament, God said, obey my voice. Obey my voice. What good would it be for the Old Testament to also obey his voice if we never heard it? Or if we couldn't obey it. So he said this. God sent me to Jericho. So now now he's come to this place that he said, 
And it means place of crushing. That's how you get the fragrance, yes? So, he said, actually, God's called me on to a place of crushing, Elisha. And I, I have to go there on my own. And you tarry here. You stay here. You stay here in fellowship with God. God's called only me to this place. And actually, God's called us all. But, Elisha has to make the decision himself. Because, you guys, we see these things so that a, 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 another believer goes through. And we're not supposed to watch it that way. We are not supposed to watch what other people... The Bible said comparing ourselves among ourselves is not wise. But we see other people going through things, and when God's Spirit and presence begins to draw you through something, inside of you there's a power and presence that the thing doesn't seem that bad at all. I mean, it it just does. God's Spirit just puts you in a place, and and He touches you, and and it, it blesses you. So, now Elijah is saying... I'm actually going to this place for this for this final crushing. And God moves us along in our walk with Him, and He leads us into that place. But we have to volunteer to go there. He, he doesn't ever make us go. That's why Elijah didn't, he never told Elisha, come with me. Because it had been an invitation of a man. And it has to be the surrender of a man to move to that next place. I have to surrender this. I want I want all that operated in this man. I want God. And I want the Holy Ghost to operate in me. That's what, that's what Elijah's ministry is all about. Remember the mountain of fire? Coming Israel back to the truth. They were, they were uh, halting between opinions. They didn't know whether God was God or Baal was God. They were just like America's church right now. They didn't know who was preaching the truth, who wasn't preaching the truth, or what was the truth. They didn't know. They didn't care anymore. And God challenged them to come back to the truth. And that's what He's doing to me and you. But he's got to have somebody that walks with him in this kind of a way. And that's what he's talking to me and you about. Is that how would you like to have that Holy Ghost presence really do what it does? Really do what it does. Then come, let's go this way. He said, Elisha, Elijah said unto him, verse 4, uh, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I'll not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Somebody to follow. And you guys, someone to obey. Because if Elijah is a picture of Jesus, if Elijah is a picture of Jesus that brings the fire, the fire baptism, then you understand that he's the master. He's the master. And where he goes, you'll follow. And as he moves along, you'll move along. And God moves us along. You guys, that's the great thing about God. It's amazing how when he begins to teach us things, he moves us along. He does. Our whole life suddenly becomes different than it was. And you realize, wow, I I think he's moving me along. And actually, we don't really think that. What we think is, what's going on in my life? (laughs) Something's going on in that. Get what's happening. And what God's saying is, you know what? If you you trust me for your leadership, I'll lead you in places that you will be like me. The Bible said that we would be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He appears, when He's revealed, when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So, you guys, this is the things that we're seeing here. So... He just tells them, I'm going on to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, 
Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? From your head. He's going to take your master. The Bible said, Any man that prays or prophesies with his head covered, dishonoreth his head. So, we're talking about the head here. He said he's going to take him from your head, your master from your head. And you guys, we want Christ to be our head. This is a transition. Because you know, you understand, of course, we talk about this one, but reference, just that Elisha is a picture of Elijah. Elijah. They're both a picture of Jesus. It's just Elijah's prior to the cross and Elisha's after the cross. So the flesh has been dealt with. So Elisha had a double portion ministry, but Elisha changed earthly governments. Elisha did things on the earth that Elijah could not do. And not until he had won it back. Am I right? Because Jesus at Calvary won the earth back. Then he can operate in a many-membered body and bring this fullness. But you and I are going to have to make up our mind. Do I want to serve God enough to go to Gilgal? Get born again? Let him lead me? Absolutely. I want all my sin washed away. I want heaven to be my home. Okay, do you want, you want to have, you want to move on from there where you really have fellowship with God and He leads you personally? Yes, I do. Alright, then, once you get into that fellowship of the flesh where you're eating those things and, and you're hearing the voice and you're strengthened in it, then He leads you into that place where it's like, okay, so let's start dealing with your flesh. Let's, let's take it off. Let's do this fire baptism. And the sons of prophets at Jericho said, you know, from your head this day. And he answered, yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray to hear for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. So you guys, each of these places have been a sense of choice. I've got to make this choice. You've got to make this choice. Now he's coming down to lay his life down. This is, this is like the picture of the cross. I'm going to lay my life down. And what uh, you Terry here. Because this will be your choice. I'm not going to invite you to come here. Uh, this is the choice you have. And Elisha said, I'm going exactly where you're going. I'm going through all of this stuff with you. And you guys, that's exactly what God wants of us, is to have that sense of God's completion finishing in us what he started. So, Jordan up from two springs. Yes? What does that have to do Well, the, the, and the Jordan River... Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a picture of dying itself. But the thing is, it it came from the hill country, and it it was a fresh supply of water. It the Jordan River is what ran into the Sea of Galilee, and it was the best fishing place uh, probably on the earth, and uh, God blessed it prolifically. Same river ran on into the Dead Sea, but there were, it only went out through evaporation. So if our supply, uh, Steve, if our supply comes from that uh, source of the, the presence of God in the mountains, always spoke of God and His dwelling. If I go back to that as my source, and I, I come back to that place, that's we were talking about wisdom earlier. And uh, if we ask God for wisdom, He gives us wisdom. So you come to this place, and the River Jordan, actually, a lot of things came out of the River Jordan. There was a lot of things that God used it for, because it was actually in Him a transfer of of the old to the new, to come out of the old man and come into the new man. So it did have a picture of coming into the kingdom 
because people deal with it as death, which indeed it was, but his people came through it and conquered the land, and they conquered the giants. So he brought them through that place where uh, he dealt with the flesh. And you guys, he dealt with our flesh at Calvary. All of us should have this sense of God having finished the, the work in us at Calvary, and now the victory is ours. So we should be able to go up and take the country. We, there shouldn't be anything on the other side that uh, he shouldn't deal with. But uh, the fact that it came from two different rivers, God dealt with double witnesses in the scriptures all the time. Uh, he dealt with uh, bringing that sense of a, of a word and then something that backed that word up with the exact same witness. And so the River Jordan did that. And there could be tons of stuff in that, you guys. I, I just, uh, I'm just telling you that that's the, and that's the simplest thing that I've dealt with it. So Steve may know more about it. Know more about that, my brother. Okay. No, because, but, that, but typically when God asks, when a question pops up in your mind, typically God's going to show you something. So that's, that's how we learn the things we learn. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Witnesses to God. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there, there's lots of it. We can dig, honestly. We can pray for these things to be revealed to us, and God does it. So, you pray. But, you guys, ultimately, that chariot came and separated those men. That was the thing the chariot did, yes? So, it says here... Uh, Verse 11, it came to pass as they still went on and talked. And of course, Elisha just says, I'm going with you everywhere. Because I, I want to see you taken up. And that's what Elijah had told him. You know, if you see me taken up, if you see me. And that's the point. If, if you can see uh, the price I have paid. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into me. So that's the, the thing he's telling us. Like, if you see me lifted up. And it goes back to that scripture in Thessalonians. So... Uh, and uh, and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder so it came between the two of them <clears throat> and you guys that's because the spirit and presence of God now has come upon uh, this scene and baptism of the Holy Ghost came upon the church and then Elisha had that so you see that in his life all the way through you saw it in Elijah's life all the way through this wasn't just this moment that that fire came down, the fire came down back when God told him, you pray and you tell these people that I'm going to judge them. You get up on the mountain, uh, you call for a famine, you get their absolutely undivided attention where nobody can deny that something drastic is going on. And then I'm going to uh, ask them to come to this conclusion. Who's got the power? Bail or me? Who has the fire that can consume the flesh? Who can deal with those things in your life you can't get rid of? Yeah, God can get rid of it. You can't get rid of it. Baal's giving you all kinds of stuff. You'll lay your children on the fire. You'll burn your kids to death, the Moloch. But I'm telling you, it doesn't avail you a thing. Following me does. So, part of them was thunder and Elijah went up to heaven and the went. So, you get over here to where Elisha is. And he comes down to this place. And you guys, it is there where the king recognizes that this chariot of fire and the horsemen of Israel... And he doesn't call it the chariot of fire there. He just calls it the chariot of the Lord and, and the horsemen thereof. But you guys, he understood that this power of God's presence had been upon blessings upon the land of Israel. 
and that as long as Elisha traveled, they knew there was a man who had that kind of authority and power, and people could get to him if your child died, and you could get to this man, your child would live. And that's what these guys knew. All of Israel understood there's a, there's a place of authority and power. And this, this prophet knows how to lead this nation. He's got wisdom from God. He's got wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So uh, when he comes to his death, and, and Elijah, of course, goes up in the whirlwind, and Elisha dies a mortal's death. And you guys, that's what we see of these things in the church. It, the power and presence of the spirit man and the laying down of the flesh uh, run to the victory in Elisha. So he dies, and, and actually he dies of a sickness, he dies of an ailment. And here's this power and presence of God, but Elisha gets, or Elijah goes up into heaven, but he wasn't seeking that, you guys. He wasn't seeking to not die. That wasn't what he was seeking. He was seeking to live, to live that way. And that's what Christ does in us. So once he entered us, for 2,000 years, he said we'd never die. And yet the, the flesh has indeed died. And there have been Christians who have died sick. Yeah? Sure. But when you laid, when they, when they uh, saw those people coming, the was coming, and they threw that dead man down in Elisha's tomb, ba-ding! now that would be a moment that would be an awakening because he came back to life. So even the bones could bring life. And that's what the Bible said. We're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. So God has made us partnership in this victory. So what about the dead? What about a believer? It never dies. And the power of God remains. So there's power and presence of God in these things that he's given to us. So that was a great question. Short question. Actually, that wasn't too bad. The answers are longer than the questions. Cause so we could have cut right to the, the Holy Spirit and drawing. But it's better to lay the foundation for what transferred in their lives. Because all of us know that if we're led along the same pathway, the Holy Ghost will lead us that way. And what a conveyance it is. I can tell you. Oh, yeah. oh that's when you recognize a prophet. Because in their life, their mouth stings like an adder. Are you kidding me? It's like, alas, my father, my father. <laughs> I'm weeping big crocodile tears that you died. Alas. <laughs> I mean, that's what Jesus said. You guys have killed the prophets. Your, your fathers built their sepulchers. So, you know, and you guys act like you're spinning teardrops. We're not like our parents. He said, you're worse than your parents. You're worse than your parents were. So, yes, the king did lament the death. Uh, you know, these guys, if they'd have found Moses' body, they'd have made a shrine. But they hated him the whole time. He says, like, so who made you a judge and a ruler? It's like, if we could just find the ruler's body, we could make a shrine out of it. People come up and want to touch it like they did the uh, brazen serpent. God is so wise. So he took Elijah, Elijah off the earth. If people could find... The bones of Elijah, you know, we'd have a mess on our hands. Catholic Church would be selling them. Okay. Was that the last of that? Uh, yeah, I think the other one actually had. Okay. Uh, it was just basically, you know, 
chapter 17. We get the stereotypes and settled foreigners in Israel. Looks pretty good, Jed. They hear the Lord, the Lord made of themselves the lowest of them priests. Yeah. The priest says they hear the Lord and serve their own God. Yeah. I was just like, how is it that they hear them and yet serve their own God? But I realized that that's an underlined word. Maybe I should no, because, no, because the whole point was is that, that's how that's how Paul could say in Corinthians they preach another Jesus, another Jesus. These guys, these guys thought they were served, they feared to not serve God, and somebody came along and told them, "This is how you serve Him. It's how we serve Him, and look how blessed we are." They said, "Cha-ching! Look how blessed they are." So they, they they followed after this stuff that had all kinds of pomp and circumstance in it. You know, it, it's amazing how people uh, see in the Catholic Church power because the priest swings something that has smoke. Yeah. So, where do you get the smoke? And as someone that doesn't know anything about God, it's like, wow, that looks godly. Stinks, don't it, Fred? But. So they could fear God and think they're serving Him a whole bunch. And that's what people are doing today. There are a lot of people that are afraid, and so they find a religion that is really, that fits in for them to do whatever they want to do. So they, they, they're afraid to keep living their lifestyle without God. So they go to a church that says, your lifestyle is perfect. They, they, they flock to the places. It's like, you know, we think you should do everything. No. <clears throat> no, because that's, that's exactly what Jeroboam did. He said, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. And that's what religion does. It's too much for you to really serve God in the fullness. I mean, when we talk about uh, sinless perfection, when we talk about uh, walking in His steps, when we talk about take up the cross and follow Him, you know, you guys, that's a little too heavy for most of us. So we have a Cripsno version of this that bypasses a lot of that stuff. And, and men love that. They would much rather have somebody tell them, yeah, you could do anything you want and still go to heaven. It takes all the, the fear away. That's what the Catholic Church understood right away. Man understood. When, when the devil does something, he has, a, he has a back door because men want an exit. So the Catholic Church gave men doctrines that we, we absolve your skin, uh, your sins. We, if we tell you to say 20 Our Fathers and 40 Hail Marys and you say them, then you've paid for your sin. See? And so then your mind is free. If you believe that, your mind is free. So they give you freedom from your sin by telling you to go say that. thing is, what Jesus says, confess your sins to me, and I'll be faithful and just to forgive your sins, and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So that's that difference. It's like, well, we're absolving you of the guilt. You guys, if you take guilt away from somebody, you can take guilt away from somebody because you tell yourself they deserve to die. Sure. When Cardinal Beaton uh, had uh, George Weishart burned at the stake in 15, what was it, 43, they, the Scots came in, three men broke into his castle and then killed him for killing Weishart. They burned him at the stake, but this guy they, they uh, ran a sword through. 
And then the, the three, two of the men had daggers, and they began to stab this cardinal, and he keeps telling everybody, you can't, you can't kill me, you can't kill me, I'm a priest, I'm a priest. And they, they're stabbing him with daggers because there was such hatred and vengeance in them for what he had done. And then the other guy says, stop, 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 we can't, we can't kill him out of anger, brothers. And so then, and he takes the sword, his sword, and runs him through two or three times, and, and the man, and they leave him to die. So the point is, should Christians avenge that blood? No, I don't think they should have, because what came out of that, what what, what happened when that man died, was well, we've read Hebrews chapter eleven. He was turned to gold. He was turned to gold. The temple was overlaid with gold, and that's how he got it to gold. So. What, what that cardinal did was took this man who was part of the Reformation in Scotland and turned him to gold in the house of God. Well, so you'd, you'd think that guy was, thank you very much. Thank you very much. My life could have been an ordinary life. Instead, you, you and actually they did all kinds of terrible torturing things to him, but what you guys, the thing is, vengeance is mine, saith Lord, I will repay. All belongs to God. So that's, that's what the priests could never do. They cannot fix those things that are going on inside of, of the heart of man. It takes the spirit and presence of God. Abayim. Um, in the book of Ephesians, we have to see some of the spiritual warfare from Blessed King. I think it's actually right now. I think I got it. I'm not really sure. Um, but it says, well, sure, we can go and talk about that. Let's look at this. Ephesians, you say, chapter 6. All right, let's start with verse 1 real quickly because we know that we're reading it through the thing. And this is how the answers get longer than the questions. So, Paul is actually setting in order the home and the church. And so, he's, he's getting ready to tell us about spiritual warfare and... Um, this is one of the most important things that God does in spiritual warfare. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And so, what we deal with, you guys, is over there in, in uh, Romans 6, where he talks about whosoever you yield yourself, servant, obey. If I am serving, read that with me real quick. Go over quickly, quickly, quickly. Is that where I want to go? Uh-huh. And let's, let's start at... Verse 11. Likewise, 6.11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dead to sin, alive to God through Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And you guys, if sin was killed by Christ at Calvary, if the power of sin was abolished, because there used to be a power in sin, if that power was abolished at Calvary, then what God is telling me and you is that uh, His power brings us into such a life that even as a baby Christian, we begin to recognize that we don't have to yield ourselves to sin. 
That's what God was telling me about my friends. He told me, mm, 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 your friends, I'm going, they're not going where you're going. He said, they're not going to come where you're coming. So, you guys, so he told me, leave them. Well, that's me recognizing that he told me, don't, and I stopped. I was 12 years old. And I stopped. And I, I, I became one of those people that, uh, first off, I started carrying my Bible to school, which shook a whole lot of the friends that were my friends because they didn't want to be caught dead with someone Christian. And uh, they thought a lot of me, but they didn't think much of me being a Christian. It was, it was too problematic because it meant that I was uh, different than everybody else. And then we liked to hang around with somebody who carries the Bible. So, he says here that uh, reckon yourself dead. Verse 12, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in the lust of Don't let it. See how, see how he just talks real passionately about it? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That's easy. And the way he says it, you guys, this is not a God that is trying to make us stumble at having... Uh, try to just overcome sin and, and just can't. And so we always believe we should and so we live under the guilt of it <clears throat> but never realize the victory. And that's not the God He is. He died at Calvary and gave us victory over it. This is what He said next. Neither, okay, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let it reign. If somebody reigns, it's like a king, yeah? Don't let it reign in your mortal body. We have sins. There are things that we do that are sin. But you guys, if I, if I surrender to it, where I let it stay, it begins to reign. I can sin a sin and recognize it's sin and repent of it, and God begins to deliver me out of it. He gives me power against it. If I sin that sin, and because I enjoy the sin, and I stay in it, what happens is, when I continue to do that sin, I've let it come back to live inside of me and have dominion over me. And it reigns. It now reigns in me. And so this is the problem, you guys, about spiritual warfare. <clears throat> is that men write books about how you take certain scriptures and you stand in a particular way. That isn't where it starts. It starts with uh, obedience to God. If I set my affection on things above and not on things of the earth, that's what God's after in my life, and that's what he wants you and me both to do. So he says here, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Lust is a desire that is compelling and powerful, and it wants it now. Okay? I want it now. God may tell you, I'll give you something, but I want you to seek me first. If you seek first... The other thing, what happens is, you've got it out of order. Now, lust, lust is when I want something now, and I won't wait for it. That's what lust is. I don't want to wait for it. So, what God said here is that, but not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't give, your, don't give in to the things that you feel that you want so bad that you lust after it. So, you guys, it's easy to lust after an automobile, a nice automobile. When, when you're young, you're thinking, boy, if I just had that automobile, I, I would, I'd be the most 
prominent person in the whole school. And uh, and there are there are kids that just went out and got jobs, and they put all their money up because they were they were going to drive that car, they were going to own that automobile, and and people would sign for them. Listen, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign. Don't let it get. Don't let it have the power over you. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't yield your body as instruments of unrighteousness. Not your eyes. Not your hands. Don't, don't yield it. Because what you see is that you're, this is coming out of your thought process. Of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God. <clears throat> don't yield yourself to sin. So you guys, that's what God began to teach me at 12 years old. You don't have to sin. You yield yourself to me. You won't sin. You guys, have, I had all kinds of temptations confront me. But God gave me power over those temptations. He gave me a, a sense of right direction. I wanted to be perfect by the time I was 15. I had a goal to live above sin and, and any of the lusts thereof. So God set me on that pathway. Now listen. But yield yourselves unto God, verse 13, as those that are alive from the dead. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. There is nothing. They, they used to have a, a comedian, and, and he would, uh, he had a, his punchline was, the devil made me do it. And the whole point was, he would be confronted about something evil that he'd done, and he'd always say, the devil made me do it, and the whole audience would laugh. Truth was, he was passing the buck. He didn't have to sin, Yeah. According to the Word of God, you didn't have to do that. The devil can't make you do it. You have to yield yourself to him. And that's what God is saying. So, he said, um, I'm having a great time, but I'm, I'm in Ephesians. Am I in Ephesians or am I in Romans? I'm in Romans, aren't I? Yeah, but, but I was reading Romans 6. But, but somehow I'm open to Romans 8. Well, here we are. Yeah. So, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That was the verse at the end of that page. Now, I'm, no wonder I'm on the other page. Listen. For it's not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin, because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants, to obey his servants, you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. So, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So God has a doctrine, the doctrine that Paul taught, that, that word that Jesus taught, delivers you from sin. And so you guys, that's what you and I want. We want to follow what Jesus taught on the mountain. We want to, we want to follow what he lived in his life every day. So, verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Being then made free from sin. You see, the church don't act like we can be made free from sin. The church acts like we're always going to be under the dominion of sin. And God said, you, you are freed from sin. And you guys, doubt is sin. Unbelief is sin. <clears throat> so we can see that we're, we're not freed from those things if they have dominion over us. So, fear is sin. We don't think of fear as sin, but when you look at the book of Revelations, the Bible said that New Jerusalem, outside the walls, he said, the first thing he said, outside the walls were the fearful. And the unbelieving. Fearful. And the unbelieving. So you guys, <clears throat> that's how the devil tries to trap us. What he tells us is this. Perfect love casts out all fear. 
draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You guys, when you are sitting in the lap of God, sin presents no problem. What we're not doing is spending time in prayer. What we're not doing is drawing near to God. What we're not doing is taking the Bible and following it as the example of our life. If we did that, you guys, doubt would be gone. Unbelief would be gone. When the disciples prayed for the man's son to cast the devil out, they couldn't cast the devil out. And Jesus sent them out before then, and they cast out devils. And when they came back, they were telling Jesus, they were, they were saying, even the devils are subject to us. Now they try to cast the devil out of this <clears throat> kid. And they asked Jesus, how come we couldn't cast the devil out? And Jesus just tells them, "Pading, here's your deal. Unbelief. You have unbelief. You don't believe. It's like, well, that hurt. He could have made an excuse for us. Mean demon. Bad demon. You were tired. I mean, I can tell you a thousand reasons why it didn't work, but Jesus just said, hey, here's the deal. Unbelief. Now, you guys, that's problematic to us because we're not certain what belief is. Because we've prayed for things. We thought we were sure that we believed that it would happen, Yeah. So then, what, what is it for me to believe? And this is what Jesus said. I'm not going to answer your question about belief or not belief. I'm going to tell you something. This kind comes out only by fasting and prayer. What he said is, you haven't drawn near to me like you need. When you live in me like you need to live in me, you'll have no doubt. This, won't, this demonic power will present you no problem at all. See, you guys, that's the thing he's telling us. So I have to first examine myself. How am I living? Is something reigning over me? If the enemy reigns over me, my flesh reigns over me. You guys, I can't cast the devil out. I can't, I can't do battle with a demonic power if my flesh reigns over me. Why is that? Because I'm under its dominion. So you can't, ca- you can't cast off your master. You have never seen in history where somebody knew that they were owned by somebody else and they cast them off. Even the Apostle Paul said he was a bondservant to Christ. He said, I'm his, I'm his slave, is the words he actually used. I'm his slave. I am his slave. You think he could cast him off? Paul, God told Paul, Paul, I want you to go over here. Paul was afraid. God said, don't worry, Paul. I have much people there. He was going. He was going to go. God told him to go where he had been stoned before. God told him to go back where he had to be let out the window in a basket. God told him, you're going to go back to these places. It's like... (laughs) Really? And he just picked up his stuff and went. You guys, that's why Paul's life was so dangerous. is because he did what God told him to do as God told him to do it. And he, he followed through on that stuff. But he drew near to God. He spent his time before the Lord drawing into that place where there was power in him so that there was no unbelief, so there was no doubt. And you guys, the church of Jesus Christ is filled with doubt. When Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. But when he went to, to the house of, of that little girl, Jairus's. A little girl, to cast that death out of that room. He told those people in the front part, she is not dead. She is not dead. Because he knew they wouldn't believe it. And they would make the excuse for her. Well, she did go into a coma. Well, her eyes had rolled back in her head, but she wasn't dead. Even he said she wasn't dead. She was just asleep. And they cast them all out. He said, go home. 
I don't, want, I don't want anybody in there. And he took only the mother and the father. When you go into these places, because he didn't want doubt in the room. Doubt in the room can stop what God wants to do. And you guys, that's why he said that this should happen within the church, because the church should have no doubts. We shouldn't be living on this place where we spend so little time with God that he's a far away memory. We should spend enough time with God that we jump down from every circumstance like David did when Goliath came to the field and he just says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to fight the armies of the living God? The man had been in the presence of God. This man had been in the presence of God. And this, this giant presented nothing as a giant. He didn't present a giant. What he presented was words. And the words were against his God. And it mocked his God and it mocked the armies of the living God. And it made the armies of a living God less than a single giant. And David couldn't stand the, the uh, inconsistencies of that kind of thinking. This is indecent to have him do that. How dare he do that? See, he wasn't about a giant. He wasn't looking at the giant. When faith is in you, it isn't about how big the, the miracle needs to be. It isn't how big you need something from God or how big it is. It is not the size of the circumstance. It is, am I hearing this thing right? That this disease comes against a child of God in the house of God to bring fight against God? How dare it do that? It's about the injustice of such a thing as that. And you guys, the church has to draw near to God to have that happen inside of us. So what God is saying is, get, get this down where you're not under the dominion of sin. Whosoever you yield yourself... Servant to obey, his servant you are whom you obey. Now, you can't be the servant of the devil and throw him out. You cannot be the devil. You can't be the devil's servant in something. You can't let him reign over you and then tell him to get out. Because he's going to go, excuse me, I reign here. I reign here. You're not, you're not going to cast me out. So, you guys, that's why God's telling us, let's get this stuff with the flesh under dominion. Because if the devil can come and open the door in you through some emotional thing, you guys, he does it. He uses our emotions against us all the time because emotions create a conflict. If you are angry at God or something he's done, you guys, it's an easy entrance for the devil. That's exactly what people have done down through the ages. Like, yeah, well, God let me down. And so then the devil comes along and starts cooing his cooing. Yeah, I wanted to tell you. Look at Job's comforters. We're telling you. So, you guys, that's the thing that God is teaching us is these emotional things that drag you down. But confidence in God. Job said, I know my redeemer. So, I'm going to encourage God tonight. And he's blessing me. I'm not going to be back up on that. I'm going to let him do exactly what he does. He does the right thing. So, he says here, who's going to be doing this? That's what we want. You and I want. I want nothing like that. He wants nothing like that. Then what happens is the devil has to obey what God tells us to do. The devil has to obey. So, so we want power over the devils. And what God says is, you spend time with me. You come spend time with me. And I, I will, you will have power over the devils because you will believe. You will believe they have to go. You will believe this has to end. And you guys, that's exactly what God does. It's just how he does exactly what he does. And he will lead us in that battle against the doubt. 
So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment of promise. So if I am obedient to my parents, I am setting the tone right for obedience to God. Am I right? Because I'm doing this as a commandment from God. Children, obey your parents. So the great thing about obeying a parent is it opens you up for obedience to God. Because your parents start telling you things you don't like. Your parents start telling you things you don't like. And what God does is prepares us to walk in obedience because, you guys, that's exactly what parents teach their children. I can free you from your anger. You get angry at me because I'm telling you no. I can free you from your anger. I can deal with these issues in you because I'm teaching you that by bringing you under the dominion of me, I'm, I'm taking away from you that battle of the power of your emotion. Am I right? Because when, when a child's angry, sure, oh yeah. When, when let's use an example, when, when a child is angry, his, his thinking man is under the dominion of his emotion, that anger. So that's why children, they don't have any filtering system to filter through what they're feeling. As they get older, they have to learn how to harness that anger. So a child that's never brought in subjection. So if a child throws a fit and the parent stops the fit with a spanking, the consequences and the pain of the consequences tell the child, actually, I'm really not eager to do that again. But what it does by, by that, that spanking is it stops the anger because now it's not just a feeling that is generated everywhere. It's now focused toward the parent. But the parent has dominion over them. So what happens is they have to bow that anger down. They'd like to keep throwing their little fit, except that it's getting too costly. So the parent is, is actually showing this child's brain, you and I are going to overcome that anger. You can't on your own. But I can. And I'm going to teach you, you can. So if you leave a child without someone confronting their anger, what happens is they learn that they cannot overcome their anger. And eventually, some brilliant psychiatrist will give them a medication and zombie them out. And that's what we're doing today. We've taught parents, you don't, have, you don't want to overcome the little animal. Leave the animal alone. No, because then every one of us is an animal. And what God is saying is, I'm going to bring that animal under dominion. And you guys, we have the power to tell our anger, no. But you guys, when you're angry... The last thing you ever want to tell your anger is no. The word yes comes to your mind. And I mean yes in, in glorious, yes, yes. You could sing it like a, you could sing it like a fellow for one thing. The thing is, you understand that anger then sets the tone for what's going on. So a parent that brings it under dominion teaches that child you can bring it under dominion. And, and after you've spanked the child, isn't it interesting that they come in loving and hugging? Because they've, you've channeled their anger down to a single thing. And you are not to be harmed, and you love them instead. And so it, it solves the whole problem. It's like, wow, I was so angry about something. And I was enraged. And, and then, then my dad aimed it towards him, and I thought, hmm, I hate him. And then, and then I realized, no, because, no, because I love him, because he loves me. And, 
And so then it resolves the anger pulling it around. And then the child shows love to you. And you guys, what you've done, what you've done is you've told the child, I own your anger. I'm bigger than your anger. I'm bigger than everything that will attack you. I'm bigger than your fear. I'm bigger. I, I, can, I, can, I have dominion over that. And I'm going to help you learn for you to do that. Then you do that with a child. You do that with a child. You do that with a child. And what happens is that they begin to learn that anger can be brought down. Then something happens at school and they just, they just shove it off. It's like, yeah, that's the way that happens. And somebody else just gets furious. And then they, they, but they manage it. They learn to manage it because you taught them how to manage it. You taught them that anger left alone gets worse. If you leave a child with angry fits, you guys, they begin to, to scream louder and kick harder. And that's because now they don't have a restraint. They have no button that pulls it down. They've got no power to bring that anger under dominion. And so it, it escalates and they become the, the pawn of it. They become the slave of that anger. And you guys, what happens is we think we're doing a brilliant thing by not bringing it under. It's like, well, I don't really want to spank them. It's like, well, here's the deal. Corporal punishment brings a pain and it is a sufficient thing. And God said, he used corporal punishment. He said, I, I spank my child. I, that's the reason there's such a war against spanking children. We hate everything that's about God. But what God's telling us is, you bring it to a, to a corporal punishment, bring the pain till it brings that under dominion. And from that surrender, and you guys, when, when, when a child with anger is brought under, you'll find there's a surrender. And when that surrender comes, that's the thing you're looking for. And when that surrender comes, now we can make progress. But you have to understand that I am willing to fight your battles. And I understand you don't have power over that anger. I understand it has power over you. And God gave you me, and I have power over it. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to work you through these things. Same thing with fear. You guys, because we understand that children under the dominion of fear get tormented. And we have power against that. So we don't just deal with their fits. We, we are training a child. That was a training a child. And when they're old, that's what we want, is to have that training come uh, to a fullness in the victory that God would bring. So he said, here, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. If I honor God, if I honor my parents in the Lord because they are giving me this godly direction, godly advice, you guys, that's how important godly parenting is. It's how important godly parenting is. Which is the first commandment with promise. There was a woman in the church and her, her, her sons, her husband fought her about God, fought her about God, fought her about God. And she'd watch Christian programs in the morning. And uh, one day her son came in and told her, shut that off. I don't want to hear that stuff. And, and the husband was letting him watch all kinds of things she wouldn't let him watch. And she brought it to a head. She said, you know what? We're done with this. The Bible said, if, you're, if you want to dwell with me peaceably, it means you go along with what I'm saying. You're, you're fighting God. You're fighting Christ. My son's now starting to do it, and he ain't going to do it. And she got a divorce. Because the Bible says that don't be unequally yoked with darkness. We think that it's okay if you're already unequally yoked with darkness. Listen, the Bible said if that person intends to stay with you or is content to stay with you, in peace, stay with them. Paul said if an unbeliever depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not held in this case. You're not held in marriage. That's what the Bible said. 
So, and, and fornication is a spiritual thing as well. When, when you worship another God, when you worship anything but, but God, what happens is you commit spiritual idolatry. And the Bible said that's fornication, spiritual fornication. Or you couldn't have had the wise virgins. Paul said, I have espoused you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The church can lose its virginity, yes, by falsehood. So if a church is not fit for marriage, she's not a virgin church, and Jesus wouldn't marry her because she had other doctrines, I can tell you that falsehood and lies is the same problem in a physical relationship. And the church has taught women down through the ages, you just stay with the guy no matter how he treats God. Listen, one of the women in this church, that's what she did. Her pastors told her, submit. She, she lived with a devil. He eventually left her for another guy. But their four children died untimely deaths. They cursed her to her face. I was uh, with them when their sister was in the hospital. She was in mental hospitals, in and out all of her life. And this one son came in the room and he began to curse that woman viciously. See, that's what happens. And she thought she was living a godly life and obeying those preachers and, and submitting to this man. And the truth was she was just submitting to him because it was the easiest thing for her to do. Mm. But not one of her children made heaven. No one of her children made heaven. The daughter that was out of her mind. It's true. She had cancer. And she waited until she was getting ready to die and they had one last operation on her. And she asked if I would come. And, and when her son was dying, he fell out of a church, second floor of a church, doing work on it when he was in his 40s. And uh, he died. And I was in the hospital room and his, his grandmother had a dream that he died. And I just told her, you know, the dream just says that, and this is the closest kid to her heart. I just said, God said he was going to die. Sorry. And in January he fell. And I went up to the hospital and he had terrible brain damage. And, and they had him sedated and that. they told him, don't let these numbers get up high. Don't say anything to elevate it. Don't, make him, don't get him aggravated, frustrated, or fearful. You leave, you, you leave the room if you want to talk about something. And so this woman came in and was talking in front of him. His, his wife came in the room. His new wife came in the room. And this woman from the church was talking to her about had they contacted his first wife. And you guys went through a terrible, grievous divorce. And then those numbers began to skyrocket. I just grabbed my Bible and went over and began to... I knelt down or got beside him on the bed and began to whisper to him. I said, Don, I'm going to read you something out of the book of Psalms. And I begin to read, and I'm watching those numbers, and I'm just talking about Jesus, just Jesus. And I was talking loud enough that he wouldn't listen about that stuff. And those numbers begin to come down, and they begin to come down. And they, they, they had elevated them so much that that woman looks up because she doesn't like me uh, because I had facial hair. And their church didn't believe in any facial hair. Men didn't have facial hair. Well, real men do. But anyway, so... <laughs> we can't help it. But anyway... But so she tells, she shouts at me, she's in this room, this, this is, there's this mother and is in the room now. Or no, the wife is in the room, this woman, and two other people. The grandmother. And uh, this woman yells at me, you stop, you stop, look what you're doing to him, look what you're doing to him. And of course I know, well, maybe it was you. But, so then she runs out and gets the mother. And the mother comes in, dresses me down and orders me out of the room. I just keep reading. Because Don and I are bringing the numbers down. And it didn't matter to me that all of them were there. They went and got a doctor. 
And by the time they got back in there, those numbers had come back down. I knew he was going to die. I had God's word on it, he was going to die. And they're making a fight about those numbers. And I'm taking him in the word of God. I'm refocusing this man. Because right where he's at right now, he's refocusing in God. And I'm here to do just that very thing. And so you guys, I left the room. And the next morning, of course, he was dead. Here's the deal. This woman now, a couple of years later, has a surgery. And she asked her mom, would you ask Brother Isley to come up to the hospital before the surgery? And so this woman comes and she said, my daughter, oh, I remember the daughter. She said, she'd like to have you come up to the hospital. This, this woman was so out of her mind that she locked her little girl in the bathroom. And the girl lived because she drank toilet water and ate cat food for more than two weeks. She forgot she was in the bathroom. This woman was out of her mind. And I went in there, began to talk, and the Spirit of the Lord fell on me. And I began to talk. These things where God came in the room. And you guys, something happened in her mind. And I could see that she was paying attention to what I was saying, like somebody who knew what I was saying. And then she said, would you pray for me? I said, yes, I'll pray for you. Yes, I'll pray for you. She said, would you pray for my salvation? I said, oh, yes. Because she came out of that surgery. And when her brothers came into the room, these are the guys that cursed her mother and did all these wicked things. They came into that room, and she was so different. You know what they told their, their mother? If he could do that to her, why didn't he come and do that 20 years ago when he came to Kansas? If he could do that to her, I didn't do that to her. God did that to her, but she was ready for God. She was ready for God. She had to get ready. And you guys, when she got ready, God met her in that place. And, and you guys, she never went back to where she was. She didn't live very much longer after that. But man, the woman never went back to that state where the devil owned her, not one ounce of her. And the spirit and presence of God changed. And you would think all those brothers would have just gave their life to God. But they grew up in a home so filled with the degradation against God and the hatred against God that it filled their very spirit. And that's why you, if you're unequally yoked, you cannot be. Cannot be. I don't care how you try to sanitize it. You've got to make these choices. And that woman who, whose husband left her, she got that divorce. Her kids were angry and angry and angry at first. And then one of them began to have serious torment come against his mind. She, she, and, he, and drugs and stuff. The devil was trying to capture him and drag him off. And she just kept praying. We just kept praying. One day she went in there and he was, he was playing the guitar and listening to some of my tapes. And you guys, God turned that kid's mind around. Brought him. Now he's serving God wonderfully. The spirit and presence of God moves on the man. But you guys, and both of her sons are serving God. And you guys, that's a glorious thing. Is that she made a, a line of demarcation and she brought them into this fellowship divine. And it wasn't because she wanted a divorce. It wasn't because she wanted to advertise Christians should get a divorce. It isn't about that. It's about there's a power in prayer to bring somebody into God. You don't just get mad at them the first day because a lot of people get married before they're Christians. And then when they find out that the one person is a real Christian and the other just can't go that direction, they try they, they work together, work together. And you guys, I've seen some really nice guys stay with some really great women. 
And they, 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 they vouchsafed the Christianity. They believed in the religion to the point it's like, you know, what your mom says is absolutely right. They stood behind it. They taught the kids, you go to church. And you guys, that makes a difference. But when a man runs, when a husband or a wife runs Christianity down to the children, it has a destructive, destructive effect. I'm telling you. And you think you can come back later and get it turned around. You cannot. It takes a miracle. A miracle from God to turn those things around. That's the kind of God that we serve. And he knows how to turn that stuff around. What Abiah asked about was these verses as we go on down there. I want to read a couple more. I know it's almost 9 o'clock. Listen. With goodwill doing service, I'm in verse 7, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does... The same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whatever you, whatever good thing you do, you'll receive from the Lord. And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons of him. So, you guys, before he gets to this warfare stuff, he, he does all of this obedience thing, all of this sense of under masters and, and under this dominion, and, and what even a person who is over others is bound by God to do. Thanks, Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So, that's what he enjoins us to, every single one of us. So, when the enemy tries to mess with you, God wants you to walk in that strength that comes through fasting and prayer, through, through believing the word of God. Because what, what he told them about casting that devil out was it was their unbelief. And you, you and I believe. And we want that belief system to work powerfully, corporately. So, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, we understand that that Putting on the armor of God does that very thing, where where the enemy cannot triumph over us. But we have a breastplate of righteousness. Our breastplate, you guys, because our the the chest of man speaks of its of his emotions. So when God deals with us, what he because our heart's there, so what he's telling us is that the seat of man, this emotional thing, needs a, a breastplate of righteousness. So what, what we learn is that right actions govern our emotions. Right actions govern our emotions. So if I'm operating where my right actions govern my emotions, I have that, that breastplate of righteousness. I have my loins girded about with truth. So I, I not only receive it, but because I know it's truth, I do it. I'm obedient to the truth. I know what the truth is in every matter. And you guys, it is imperative that I seek the will of God and then I do those things that he shows me to do. We want to go up to Bethel, right? And get that word from God. God, what are you telling me? What do you want me to do? So then he says this. Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So you guys, we're, we're coming close to that evil day again upon the earth. There are cycles <clears throat> that the earth has gone through where it would just become viciously wicked and evil days were abounding. And you guys, uh, God would bring people through that fire and come out the other end successful. So he said, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod 
with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, my walk comes through this fire. Because we know what the preparation of the gospel of peace is, right? You prepare the word of God with the Holy Ghost fire. You let the Holy Ghost prepare it, open it to you, and teach it to you. So, you want that fire to, to do it. So, I want my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Which brings me back to the, the chariot of fire and uh, the horsemen thereof. So your feet shot at the preparation of the gospel of peace. I should have power in the word of God where the, where the Holy Ghost opens it to me. And when you, when you read the word that way, you guys, there's authority that goes with what you say and what you believe. And above all, taking a shield of faith. So that's what, that's what quenches the devil's darts, faith. And that's why we understand that the believing is what the disciples didn't do enough of. They didn't believe when they cast that devil out. When Jesus cast that devil out, the Bible said it threw the kid down. And Jesus ignored it. Big deal. The devil saying, I didn't come out. And Jesus is thinking, big deal. You are coming out. Scratch, claw, shut the door, whatever you want to do, you're still coming out. And he ignored it. Because what the devil would do is give him enough of a scare while he's trying to hold on to uh, make him think he wasn't coming out. If he could make him not believe, he would do the same thing that he was to the disciples. Yes? Yes. He wouldn't have come out. Same disciples that cast out other devils. He's not coming out. So, Jesus just looks the other way. It's like, yeah. But the Bible tells us that that devil threw that kid down. Jesus turns to the dad and said, so when did this all start with the child? Get his mind off of it. Jesus is ignoring it. You guys, that's really believing. That's really believing. If there was a Rottweiler charging you and you said, peace, be still, sit down. And then you went back talking to someone else. And you didn't look back to see if it was still charging. That's believing. You told it don't, and it won't. That's believing. And that's what God's telling us. Is that, yes, I'm bringing you to such a place as that. So, let God, let God gather up all the fragments, everything broken. Because the devil comes in on the fear. He comes in tormenting you about something. So you, you've given that all to God. God, all the broken things the devil could accuse me of, you fix they. You help me on this deal. I'm just going to give that to you. So, I give it to the God. Well, the devil says, yeah, but I don't think he got but, 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 but. Gave it all to God. I'm wondering what he thinks. I gave it all to God. Yes, but that, I don't want to know what you think. I gave it all to God. I gave it all to God. Yeah, but I think... How do you feel? I gave it all to God. He just gathered all the stuff up and he made it safe. So, he could have given you a husband that was clueless about God. No, I'm, I'm telling you, you could have married some guy like that. And then this battle would have been a solo thing that, that some guys would just decide, my wife is just beyond my help, I'm out of here. Yes? Instead, God gave you somebody that said, I'm digging in, I'm entrenching in the Word, I'm fighting this thing, it can't have dominion over my house, I've got victory in Christ Jesus. So, what I see in this is the sovereignty of God that from the very beginning earmarked you for a victory. That's what He does. That's how God does it. So, and He did that for all of us. That's what He, that's what he promised us. So, He says here, listen, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Are there fiery darts? Yes. 
two, four, six. See that you quench all of the fiery darts of the devil. Point is, this is this is a man of God talking about the realities of spiritual combat. So the devil will throw you darts. He's going to throw darts at you as long as he thinks he has a chance of, of wearing you down. But that shield of faith drops them all. It stops them all. You guys, I, when I was just a kid, I remember, you know, because cowboys were the big thing when I was a kid, because we were all cowboys. And, uh, but, but the Indians would shoot arrows that had flaming things on them. And, uh, and that always kind of shook me to the core because it seemed like they had more weapons than we had, had better weapons. I mean, if you've got fiery darts and you can shoot them at people. It's like, this doesn't seem right to me. And so, it all, I, I, I had this fear of Indians, you know, no offense. And, uh, <laughs> and so, I, I lived with that as a little tight because I was thinking, wow, you know, because they got, they got shooting arrows because a bullet, who, who enjoys a bullet going out of a gun? It's nothing like a flaming arrow shooting over the top and setting the whole fort on fire. So, you guys, that's what God describes this as, is that there's this threat that is so ominous that it is meant to make you in every way run. The truth was, a shield of faith then stops all of that. But I have to actually believe I can stand behind that shield because distance seems like the better friend. But the shield is your best friend. And that's what God's teaching you. So you stop those, those fiery darts. But you see, you have been equipped with obedience. And it has brought you into a place that when you find favor with God, and you know you're in favor with God, it does something to you. And that's why when you draw near to God, you're, you'll, you'll find this very interesting. When you spend extra time in prayer, and you just, you just lock away, and you, you just do this prayer thing with God, what happens is you, you think that you draw near to God, and He's going to have a whole bunch of stuff to tell you about where you've been the last six months. And instead, you find favor with Him. And you find out that He's just so glad to see you, and it's like, I'm so embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? And so you think, wow, this is the thing. But you guys, that's what the devil uses against us. You don't want to go pray now because God's going to go, um, what, where have you been? How come, how come you haven't been here? No wonder your life's a shambles. But... <laughs> so you think, well, maybe I shouldn't pray. I don't, I don't necessarily want to bring up the subject, sore subjects. like, I need help. It's like, of course you need help. <laughs> Look at you. But, but that is now he deals with the issues. I mean, right? So, you guys, that's the thing that he's talking about here. So, spiritual warfare brings us down to this place that he says, look, you stand right where you're at because that shield will protect you. And I don't care what the devil throws at you. I do not care what he throws at you. You just raise the shield. But you've got to raise that shield. And it's faith. It's not just, it's not just throwing up something. It's not throwing up a word. It is, it is faith. My faith in God makes me invincible in the warfare. Your faith in God does it. And so, you can tell if you've drawn near to God, because when you, when you draw near to God, you, 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 you know that you know that you know. And when He tells you to do something, you know it is going to happen. It's just the way He is. 
And that's the thing that God is doing. That's what he's talking about. And it's, it's interesting that, that, he, that the song service started the way it did. Because it was just like it was built on this sense of giving God what he deserves. Give God what he deserves. He deserves our obedience and he deserves our faith. He deserves it. He paid that terrible price. He deserves my faith. And when the devil comes and yeah, yeah, and tries to value, it's like, no. Listen, God deserves my allegiance. He deserves my faith. He deserves me to believe that He fought my battles and won them. I, he deserves for me to believe that He defeated Satan and would take me on into victory. He deserves me to believe that. If I don't, I'm doubting Him. I'm saying He didn't do it. I'm questioning the integrity of the cross. I'm not doing that. I'm done doing that. And I'm not going to let you do that to me. Then what the devil says is, yes, but let's, let's just forget all this stuff and let's go do it. And so, no, because... He's my master, not you. Jesus is my master, and I obey him. And so, you can't own me. You, you can't own me. I am not for sale. You can't pick me up cheap because I, I like to, to eat popsicles. I ain't going that route. I am not going that route. And that's what the Spirit of the Lord teaches. Like, here's our deal. I have a way through for you. And, and you're going to come out on this other side victorious. So he says this, Helmet of Salvation, my head encapsulated in, in this victory that God gave me at the cross, the helmet of salvation. My thinking man, my thinking man, under the dominion of the Word of God. Listen, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I have this sword, but you guys, the sword is truth. And the truth, if I believe the truth, I'm going to obey it. Jack Coe used to say, I've met people who said that, that say they believe in God, they just don't serve Him. He said, if you believed in God, you'd be too afraid not to serve Him. I love those old Pentecostal answers that are straight to the point and leave off all the brilliance of man. So, that's what we want. To believe that He does do that. Okay. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities. And you guys, that means that they have dominion. They've been given a a portion of an area through their combat that they own. They're a prince. And Satan gives out principalities. God has principalities. They called Abraham a prince for a reason. Because God gave him a piece of ground. And where that man owned that ground, he was a prince over it. He was a ruling authority over that ground. And what God gives us in the church is ruling authority. And where you rule, where that authority is, where God's Spirit and presence is, God does exactly what He wants to do, and He brings in His Word, and nothing can change that. So there is a principality. But what happens is the, the person that's in charge of that principality has spiritual responsibility to withstand the intrusion of any other uh, principality. So when Satan comes against the church, that's exactly what the church ought to do. In, in uh, England, uh, George... Uh, or at uh, G. Campbell Morgan's, well, yes, G. Campbell Mer Morgan's church, you guys, it was two blocks from Buckingham Palace. And in the days that he took that church over, it, it was the red light district because these dignitaries that came from all over the world came to play and stuff too because they were rich and they, were, they had audiences with the king. And so while they're there, or the queen, they might as well just spend some time. And so it was an unsavory neighborhood. It was a wicked place. And, and they had less, a congregation less than 100 people in this church that held 2,000. It's a beautiful church. And, and 
Dick Campbell Morgan went in there to, to pastor this church, and you guys, within uh, six months, he had 2,000 people in his Wednesday night Bible study. They called him the man of one book because he only believed that the Bible was what you had to have. So other men bought all these other books, and they had these great big libraries and great big beautiful bookshelves, and the man owned 66 books. And he taught on the 66 books for his whole lifetime. But he filled that place with the power of God, and he took that church through World War One and World War Two. Yeah, and that church wasn't blown up, wasn't burned down, wasn't incinerated. You guys, and it was in a place that, that should not have uh, got through the damage. And it's, it's a beautiful church. Uh, we went in there, and, and, and I wanted to visit on work day, and, and I, I buzzed a little buzzer because it's got a, a really neat walkway because it's got a building on one side that's just old England building, and the other side looks like a castle when you get beside the church on the inside, on the edge of it. And then they've got the steel gate to keep people going back in there. So it tells you, you know, ring the buzzer. And I didn't know what to tell the guy. Rachel said, ring it. You, know, to, you want to see the church? I said, eh, it's the middle of the week. I don't know what to tell the guy. She said, oh, just ring it. I said, oh, yeah, I'm from Kansas, and I would like to see this church. I said, what is he going to tell me? She said, well, you won't know unless you push the button. So I pushed the buzzer. I said, uh, I've read a lot of George Warnock's ser- or uh, G. Campbell Morgan's sermons, and, and I, uh, you know, have wanted to come and, and visit this church. And he said, well, there's really nobody here right now. He said, I have to answer the phones. And uh, he said, but if you want to look, he said, I'll, when, the, when you hear the buzzer, push the gate. So I push the gate, and then when he comes out and sees all the little children, and it's like, oh. He said, well, yeah, can I, come on in. Yeah. And then he tells me, so, you know, so we go in and we look around. And so he said, well, go ahead and take some pictures. And so, so he does that, and so we're taking pictures. And he said, see these pews down here in the front? He said, when these men preached, the newspapers of London had every service had reporters that sat down here because they could take notes fast enough. And the next day, every newspaper printed these sermons. He said, he would like to see his office. He said, we didn't change anything. They, they haven't changed anything since he's left. The same desk. Everything, we just left it like it was. So, we went in there. He said, he opened the closet door. He said, you see this guy here? His name's You think of the impact that this man made because he loved the Word of God. That they would leave his office the same. That they would, they would save the robe that he wore. It's like, well, these guys matter. And they did matter. And you guys, now that they're gone, look what's happening to England. 2% of the people even attend church. 2% of the people even believe in God. 
What's happened to this is, is where God has flourished and poured out His anointing and poured out His Spirit. It took them through two world wars. took families that had lost loved ones at, at every category and every level. And it, and it brought them into this place. 28,000 people in London lost their lives. 28,000 people were killed in those, those raids. And they, and they went to the subways. I mean, they went underground to try and stay alive. But you guys, you see this kind of warfare that is going on. And what God is telling me and you is that when, when Germany took over so much of Europe, the one thing they couldn't take over was that, that island. And so those people fought on without the rest of the world because they just said, you know what, we were, and they were doing incendiary bombings every day. They just, who, who had ever heard of a war where airplanes by the hundreds came and just bop, dropped bombs that did nothing but start fires to burn you out, to destroy your morality or, or your uh, sense of uh, morale and, and bring you down to this place that they could do this to you viciously and, and you weren't being able to see anything you could do back. And they just decided, we're going to do this. And God gave them a leader that did... Something more than anything else, you guys, he spoke words that were words of, of strength and encouragement and power. Winston Churchill, just, he, this guy opened his mouth and God, God put inside of his brain these things that had a, a, a motivating power behind it. He said, look, they, they told us to surrender. He said, we will never surrender. He said, we'll fight them at the cliffs of Dover because, of course, that's where they would land should they be able to cross the channel. And then he said, and then he goes through the cities. But he said, and, until, they, until they kill us all, but we'll never surrender. We're not going to bow our knee. You see, God's bringing a church to that same kind of thought now because, you guys, we see very little that the enemy hasn't taken on the landscape. But he's brought it down to a church that wants to hold to the truth. And there's people just like us all around the world, but there's not much of it left. And so what happens is the spirit and presence of God has to decide, look, we're going to hold our ground. We're going to hold to this truth. We're going to stand on these things. Because if we give up, darkness wins. Darkness wins. He said, let them say of us that if we... this." Uh, nation should continue for a thousand years that this was our finest hour the cities bombed to shreds the people living underground dying like flies you guys the air force was was riddled they bombed the airfields and they, they made airplanes out of of cardboard and plywood and everything they could get their hands on to put them out on the field so it looked to the german pilots like they still had an air force because they didn't want them to know how little they had and then those few pilots that were fighter pilots would, would go up and fight against odds that were astronomical against them. And you guys, that's what we ought to be. We ought to have that same mentality that says, is there a fight going on? Is there a fight going on? Is there a fight? Then I'm in the battle. But you guys, you've got to be on the right side. Because in Christianity, you have to be under this surrender and dominion of God. And so that's the very first thing you want to settle is, am I surrendered to God? Am I given over in my life, in my appetites, in my thinking? Who reigns in my life? If God reigns in my life, then I am able to move forward as a soldier of the cross. And if I am not that now, by 9.35 I shall be. 
By 9.35 I shall be, because I'm not leaving this place without doing real business with a real God. I want Him to rule over me. I want Him to reign over me. I want Him to know He owns me. I want my mind to know He owns me. And I want to start living like I have never lived in an obedience to God. In fact, I'm not going to go just home. I'm going to go pray. Because I want more Him now. We watched Pistol Pete, uh, the, the movie about the, uh, Pete Maravich, the uh, basketball star. And you guys, he started bouncing the ball all the time. He just bounced it all the time. By the time the movie was over, Ben was bouncing the basketball in my house. He just went and got it. It's like, man, that inspires me. If that's what he did to get better, then I could get better. And it takes time. It takes spending time doing what you intend to do to get well, to get victory, to walk in God, to do these things. It's, it's worth the time. It's like, hey, I know exactly because Jesus told the disciples, if you believe, you cast that devil out. Turned right around and said, hey, that, don't, that kind don't come out without fasting and prayer. Listen to what I'm saying, he said. You want that to come out? You fast and pray. You spend time with me. And this thing will come out. And that's what you and I are. It's like we are invincible when we listen to the things he says. And that wisdom comes to us. So, there are principalities. There are powers. Let me read two more things. So, well, that's what he said. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, uh, principalities, powers, we know that. Rulers of darkness, yes indeed, of this world. Darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we understand all that's going on. And you guys, if we pay attention, it's all going on. And we are people that walk in the truth. We are going to encounter... Some of that opposition against us. If you are marked out by God and you're wearing the right uniform, listen, you cannot, you, you couldn't sashay through the enemy lines. My uncle was on a merchant marine ship and they, they came into a harbor in the fog in North Africa and when the fog lifted, they were surrounded by Nazi boats. And of course, they blew that ship up that he was on. And he got actually hurt really bad in the, in the sinking of the ship. But the thing is, it was when the fog lifted. Because it was very evident they were on the wrong side. See how quickly that was identified? It's like, whoop, we did. And, and they realized all, all around it was Nazi ships. It's like, we're in the wrong place. Well, you guys, that's how real this warfare is. But you are more than the power of anything the enemy could raise up. And if you understand that, then you understand why we associate and why we gather together because where two of us are, it's way better than the odds of one person doing it. Because two of us can put 10,000 on the flight. Yes, we can. So, all right. Wow, you guys, we've sang. We've danced. We've prayed. We've been ministered to with the word and music. You can't do better than that. We've, we've honestly taken authority against uh, the enemy's boast against anybody in this church. And I believe that we are coming to this place and we understand, okay, we have power. And we're going to operate in that power and do those things necessary to get the doubt out. Doubt has to go. All right. God, we just thank you. Nobody needs to leave this place without having done real business about this personal relationship with you. God, set our souls on fire 
to obey you. God, give us such a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. God, that we would see you as the master. We would put you first. We would lay aside uh, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And we would worship God. Lord, that we would come to you and, and, and acknowledge you as the ruler of our life and the God of our life. God, and then all of this stuff that the enemy pastors people with, God, cause us to walk constantly in that readiness of warfare. God, steadfast in you, overcomers. You said that this is the victory that overcomes the world. God, all of this is encapsulated in that one statement. This is the victory that overcomes all the world, even your faith. God, we are seeking to walk in that kind of faith that overcomes all of these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. God, we are that people, and we believe you've marked us out for that. God, we believe you've opened your word to do that. God, we pray you'd have your way in us right now. Right now. Your will in us as it is in heaven right now. God, in the name of Jesus, God, every believer in this place, God, we're asking you to take dominion over these things. God, if anybody is wrestling with things, we pray for the fire of the Holy Ghost to come down on it. God, burn out this dross. Burn out this dross. God, anybody that is yielding to the things that would cause them to be under the rulership of the enemy, God, clarify it. God, make them see it. Open our eyes. God, I pray for the convicting power of God, Lord, to remove the peace of anyone that would yield to anything. God, that we might have that kind of experience of change. I want that kind of change in us this week, this time. God, we're asking you right now, bring that kind of change in all of us. We're seeking that, God. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste energy. I don't want to, I don't want to do something contrary to what you'd have me to do. God, I want to be yours. 24 hours a day. God, I want that in my life. And I want to follow you perfectly. God, we want that. All of us want that, Jesus. We want to be led by your Spirit. Bring it to pass in us. God, we're asking it in your precious name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right.